let's turn. I want to encourage you to turn to Galatians 6 with me this morning. Galatians chapter 6. We started this last week. And um, I'm, I think I'm going to get through it. So this is really good. I, ho- I hope I'm going to get through it this week. If not, we'll uh, kind of continue in this next week. But as you guys know, we have been looking at um, this idea of spiritual stability. And the reason why we are devoted and committed to the church is so that it provides spiritual stability for us. That there's something about being in the midst of God's people and being around one another, right? And being connected and committed and devoted to each other that provides a sense of spiritual stability that nothing else can, right? And we've talked about this before. Obviously, as families, and if you have a family and you're part of a family unit, that is a sort of a a unit that God has given you, uh, people that God has given you in your life to provide spiritual stability. And, And that's important. But also important is that you, that family or that person is part of a larger body. And that we are committed and devoted to one another. And a product of that is spiritual stability. And more specifically, we were talking about the last couple of weeks about how spiritual stability is formed through mutual commitment. That we are mutually committed to one another. When we call this place our home, what we are saying is is we are mutually committed to one another for the purposes of spiritual stability. And so spiritual stability is forged in mutual commitment. And last week we talked about how that commitment produces accountability. Right? That accountability comes through a mutual commitment to one another. And this week we're going to talk about dependency. That we are to be dependent on one another. And that comes through a mutual commitment. It's very difficult to depend on one another if we neglect a mutual commitment to each other. And we have to understand this as the church, that we are devoted to one another and committed to one another. Why? Because spiritual stability is forged in this idea of mutual commitment, which produces dependency. And I want us to see in God's word why this is so important this morning. The participation and the devotion to Christ's church is essential for all of us, as we know. It is through this participation that the Christian spiritual nourishment, maturity, and stability are formed. That we are not meant to live this life alone, separated from the body of Christ. But we must commit ourselves to one another. And so our truth claim this morning is this. The Christian must love the church for it provides spiritual stability forged in mutual commitment producing dependency on one another. And that is the goal this morning for us to understand through the word of God. And Paul shows us so clearly in Galatians chapter 6 how this happens. If you remember last week we looked at this, that mutual commitment produces accountability. We looked at this. We looked at three things. We looked at verse 1, and that's all we did. We broke down verse 1. And we saw that Paul is referring to anyone in here. Let me read it to you. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. That is verse 1. And in that, we looked at these things. We looked at how Paul is referring to anyone, which means everyone, that no one is insulated from the subtle permeating effects of sin in their life. 
That is why it is so important to be together. No one is insulated. It is not a respecter of how long you've been a Christian. It's not a respecter of what kind of uh, position you have in the church. It's not a respecter of any of those things. That we all, with our, our human flesh, our human nature, are susceptible to the subtle permeating effects of sin. Paul said this, he said, anyone, anyone who's caught in this, you must restore them with gentleness. So there's an accountability we have. Paul really here is talking about being caught off guard, right? If, if someone is unsuspectingly allowing sin to come be a part of their lives and permeating their lives, what are we to do as Christians, as believers, as spiritual people? We are to come and we are to restore them with gentleness so that we are accountable to one another for the way in which we conduct our lives. That the, the way and the form of righteousness that is formed in us by the Holy Spirit, uh, that process, right? We are accountable to one another for that. Yes, there is a direct accountability if you're married with your spouse, but there's also these secondary levels of accountability that we have with one another. And it's so important to understand that because God is so, it, God is so, um, he, he finds great pleasure in those that he has saved to see them be molded and formed into the image of Christ. And that is his desire for you this morning. And so Paul says, if anyone is caught, anyone is in this place where they ha have allowed sin to suddenly kind of creep into their lives, and they are, in a sense, unaware, you are to restore them with gentleness. You are to, re you are to repair them. You are to mend them. You are to rehabilitate them. You are to set them straight. You are to sort of uh, reestablish their former condition with gentleness. Why? Because that is the fruit of the Spirit. So if a spiritual person cannot restore someone, or if the church cannot restore one another in gentleness, we are not walking in the Spirit. But we are walking in gentleness for one another. And so that brings us to Galatians uh, verse 2. So we saw accountability last week, and this week we're looking at dependency. So look with me here in verse 2. We're going to read from verse 2 to verse 5 this morning. This is what it says. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load interesting if you're reading that just on surface level you're looking at it and there and you're going oh i see some contradictions in there what's going on here right at the beginning paul says what bear one another's burdens but what does he say at the end in verse in verse five you will all have to carry your own load Interesting. Which one is it? Are we bearing one another's burdens, or do we have to carry our own load? That's why studying this thing out and understanding the context and the words around this are so critically important. Because if you're just reading that, and you just read it for what it is, you're going to be confused. You're going to be like, 
Should I bear someone else's burden? Or should I allow them to carry their own load? Should I expect other people to bear my burdens? Or should I just be responsible for carrying my own load? Do I have help in the church or do I not? Is the church responsible to do this for me or is it not? And so we're going to unpackage that because on the surface it looks like it can be a little bit confusing. So I want to start here this morning. There are three things I want us to see here. The first part, Paul is talking about the exercising of love. This is how we are to bear one another's burdens, through the exercising of love. And then he moves on and and, and warns us of something. He warns us of self-exaltation, of spiritual pride that can creep into every Christian, everyone who is a believer. There There is a potential and a temptation to operate in spiritual pride. And this is dangerous to the church, and and Paul's going to tell us why in a minute. And then finally, the necessity of examination. We must examine ourselves continually. I know we talk about this a lot, and the reason why we talk about it is a lot, because it occurs a lot in Scripture. So it might be a good reason for us to do this continuously. So first is exercising of love. Second is the danger of exalting oneself. And third is the necessity of our examination of our own lives. And that is how we are going to divide this up today, this morning. So let me start here. Exercising of love. Look at what he says here. Bear one another's burdens. What does he mean? What does he mean by that? It's a very vague, general statement. It requires a little bit of study. It requires a little bit of understanding what these words actually mean. But here's the first claim that I think Paul is saying. This is what he's saying in this verse. He's saying, dependency is forged in the church. Let me say this again. Dependency is forged in the church through a willingness to share in the heaviness of life's struggles. And we do this through the work of love. Right? Dependency is forged in the church through a willingness to share in the heaviness of life's struggles through the work of love. Of love. I want you to take notice of two words here in this in this passage. First is bear, and the second is burdens. First is this. Paul says that we must bear. What does that mean? What does that mean? In in, in the Greek, it's this word bastadzo. And what it means is this to lift or to raise up or to relieve the weight of or to carry, or to remove the weight of something. So as, as the church, we are responsible. In, in, in fact, this, this, this text, or uh, this verse here, this is what we would call, if you are in my, in my life group, an imperative. It's in the imperative mood, this word bear. Do you know what, Marvin, you know this. What's an imperative? <laughs> A little test on the spot this morning. When something is in the imperative, what is it what is it doing? It's commanding, right? Remember we we're talking about that? It's commanding. So this is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not maybe something that, you know, that you know you might sh- should consider to do, you know? It's not a statement. It's not in the indicative mood. It's the imperative. It's 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 giving you a command. This is the command of Christ. This is the command of God's word. That we are to bear one another's burdens. We are to lift one another up. We are to raise one another up. And how is it that we lift one another up? By carrying the weight of burdens. 
carrying the weight, removing the weight of things that weigh one another down. This forges dependency on one another. So we are to bear this. But what are we to bear? Paul says we are to bear burdens. And if you look at this word, it's basos, it means heaviness, or a weight, or trouble, or a load, which causes us to sink. I know that we can think of many things that fall into that category right now. Each one of us has something that's weighing us down. Each one of us has something we're concerned about. Each one of us has something that we're carrying and that we're dealing with this morning. That life is never, uh, never, life never exhausts the burdens, right? That we never come to a place in life where we're not dealing with some type, of, some type of, of burden that we're carrying. But as the church, we are to be committed to one another to recognize a burden that someone has and say, let me help you carry that. In fact, it's really connected to the verse above when Paul says, restore. He says, restore them, right? When they fall into a transgression or sin, he says, restore them. How is it that we're to restore them? We're to carry their burden. We're to lift the heaviness. We are to become weight bearers in a sense for them. I want us to see here this idea of burden, strictly speaking, but also broadly speaking. So if we are to look at burden in the context of the verse, it's speaking specifically about something, but also in general, it speaks about things as well. So if we look at the verse, really we're looking at the burden being transgression, right? Or being sin. So when we sin against one another, or when we find ourselves, right, unexpectedly harboring sin in our lives, right? This becomes a burden to us. It becomes a weight to us that we do not want to carry. And so it is so critical for the church to understand that we can restore one another when we find ourselves in that place with gentleness. But specifically, Paul is talking about a burden here, and he's talking about the burden of sin in the context of the passage. And he wants us to know something, that we are not to ostracize people or, or um, to deny people or to deny our brother and sister when they're in need of help. He's going to talk about that in a minute. That we are to come around people when we find them in this place and when they find out themselves and come to a realization of where they're at. And why is this so critical for Paul? Paul is so determined to get them to understand this responsibility they have to their brothers and sisters in Christ because of this. Because our pattern of sin has been changed in our lives. It has been interrupted in our lives. We were once obedient to sin. But now we attach our service to righteousness. As we're born again and as we're regenerated in the heart, right? The pattern of sin and the power of it changes. It no longer rules us. 
but we are ruled by righteousness now. We have a new law in us. And that is a law that seeks to serve righteousness. And Paul wanted this to be so clear to the church because he didn't want people to think that they weren't saved. He wanted to give the church an assurance of their salvation. And he's saying, guys, if you come around people when they're caught in something or when they're, when they're, um, you know, when they're in, when they're, um, what's the word I'm looking for? When they're harboring, you know, bitterness or animosity or, or if, if they're in any way entertaining sin in their lives unexpectedly. He's like, you come around them and you restore them with gentleness. Why? Because they need assurance of their salvation. Because the pattern has changed. And so when there's an intervention, that pattern is what? Cut off. So what Paul is saying is, is come in and restore. Don't allow it to continue if you see it. But come in and restore them with gentleness. Why? So that the pattern is broken. And so that they can be assured of the sanctifying work in their lives by the Spirit. Look at what Paul says. I'm going to turn to Romans 6 and then over to 1 John. Paul gives great expression to this new reality that we have as Christians. Uh, in Romans chapter 6, 16 to 18, this is what he says. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart. In other words, it's not a superficial belief, right? It's not a casual understanding, but that you believe in your inner being of who you are now. And you believe in your inner being of the life that you desire to live now. You have, you have believed from the heart with everything in you. That's what Paul is trying to refer to here. And what have you believed and become obedient from the heart to? The standard of teaching here in verse 17. The standard of teaching, in other words, the standard of teaching of Christ. The standard of the teaching of the gospel. You have heard the gospel and you've received the gospel and you've received it sincerely into your heart and you really want to follow. And he says, you have done this because you have put away sin and you have put on righteousness. Righteousness is now your slave. Or sorry, you are a slave to righteousness. Righteousness is your master now. Not sin, but righteousness. The pattern has been broken. He says, you have been obedient from the heart to the standard of this teaching, to everything about Christ, to which you were committed. You're committed to this thing in your heart. And having been set free, listen to these words, having been set free or delivered, that word in the Greek is really this idea of being delivered, delivered to righteousness, delivered out of darkness and into light, delivered from sin and into righteousness, delivered from this temporal world into a new one, into an eternal kingdom, an eternal reality through the Spirit. Paul is saying, you've been freed from sin. You have been delivered and have become slaves of righteousness. 
So Paul wants the church to understand this is your new reality. 1 John 3 says this, verses 4 through 8. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. In other words, when we participate in that, what we are saying is that, God, your commands I do not decide to follow. That there is no sense of, of, of God's um, law and truth in my heart. That I do not want to be determined by what God and how God has called me to live. So it is a sense, it is the absence of God's commands and his law. It is as if we are living as if God doesn't exist. And as if the spirit does not live in us. But he says this, you know that he appeared, Jesus, in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one abides in him, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. What does this mean? What is John saying? What John is saying is, is the pattern of your life has changed. Right? It doesn't mean that we're absent of sin. It doesn't mean that we fall to temptation. It doesn't mean that we, we don't experience that and we don't entertain that and we don't fall victim to that anymore. It's still a real and present thing in our lives. That's the reason why we are to be with one another and restore one another. But what John is saying is that the, the totality of your life doesn't serve that anymore, right? The practice means it's a continual pattern that you engage in all the time. And what Paul is saying, or what John is saying is that a, children, a child that is born of God, that has the Spirit, does not do this anymore. This is, this is a, um, a direct way in which we can measure who is a Christian and who is not. That the one who continues in that pattern has not been born of God. But the one who loves righteousness is the one who comes and is born of God. And so Paul is, wants us to understand this this morning. That we are to restore one another. Why? Because the pattern in our lives has been broken by Christ and by the gospel. Broadly speaking, Paul is talking about trials. When we are to bear one another's burdens, we are to bear in one another's trials. We are to bear in one another's troubles. We are to bear in one another's sufferings. We are to bear in the difficult circumstances that life presents. I can scan this room right now. And I can, I can, just because of where I'm at, right? in the church. I can scan the room right now and, and, and I can I can point out trials right now in, in, in many of you. I can I can understand suffering in, in many of you. I can I know what you're going through. I know what you're up against in life. I, I know how hard life can be right now for you. That if we are to live and breathe on this earth, it is to experience trial and suffering 
and loss and difficulty. And that is something that no Christian is insulated from because we are in the world. And life brings that inevitably in everybody. And so we can scan the room. You can scan the room because we know each other. We can all look around and go, yeah, I know they're dealing with that. Yeah, I know that must be hard. Yeah, I know that, that there's suffering going on there. And our job is to come in as the body of Christ, as the brothers and sisters, and say, let me help you carry that. Let me help you. Let me bear the weight of that for you. And let us carry this thing together. Let me be here for you and, and minister to you. And, and even though I may not totally understand what you're going through, because I've never gone through what you're going through specifically, what I can do is I can come around you and put an arm around you and say, you know what, I'm just here to listen. I'm here to help you carry the burden of life, whatever that looks like. And it's an exercise of love. That's what Paul said. So when the burdens of life simply become too heavy and seem unbearable, it is the church, it is God's people who stand up to provide relief for one another, who cannot shoulder the weight. And not only that, it allows us to regain our footing in life. We bear the weight of others' weaknesses. We, we share in the heaviness of, of another's suffering. We extend forgiveness and comfort in conflict. We are patient in, in trials and in sin and in transgression with one another. Yes, it is true. We sin against each other. That is a real thing in the church. It is not just something for the world to operate in. We still do it. But what is our response? Our response is to come and to lift up and to restore each other and to comfort one another in our weaknesses. Secondly, in this verse, Paul says this, that you must bear one, another bur one another's burdens. Why? Because it fulfills the law of Christ. Hmm, interesting. Interesting phrase. It fulfills the law of Christ. What does that mean? I mean, if you know anything about Galatians, Paul is talking about the law a lot, about God's commands, about God's truth, about God's word. And he says, he, he rails against the law because uh, the, those in Galatia were using the law as, an, or, as a way in which you would be able to be saved, right? You had to adhere to and keep all of the commands of the law in order to, for you to achieve salvation. And Paul comes against that with the church of Galatia, all the churches in Galatia, and he says to them, guys, it's not about keeping the law. It's not about keeping it perfectly. It's not about always obeying God's commands, even though that's the ideal, and even though that's what we strive for, it does not achieve your salvation. Why? We've talked about this back in the summer, that it is a salvation based in works, and we know that we are not saved by works and keeping the law. We're saved by grace and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ who came and died and bled for our sin. Right? So why is Paul using the term law? Doesn't this seem to be a little confusing to them? Like, wait, Paul, you just said I didn't have to keep the law. 
in order to be saved. And Paul's saying, hey, carry one another's burdens. Why? Because in it, you fulfill the law of Christ. Interesting phraseology that Paul uses here. But this is essentially, I think, what Paul is saying. Carrying one another's burdens is the response of a grace-permeating joy in Christ. And this joy desires to obey the law of love, which is the law. See, here's the most amazing thing about, about Jesus. The fact that he's our Messiah and saved and he goes to the cross and dies a death that we deserved and lives a perfect life and all of those things that we celebrate every single week, right? Here is the, a beautiful thing we have to understand about Christ, that when he comes to the earth, Right? He says this in Matthew. He says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. I have come to fulfill the law. I didn't come to, to, to negate it. I didn't come to uh, discredit it. I didn't come to relieve you of it. I came to fulfill it. And so Jesus becomes the perfect interpreter. Why? He's the word made flesh. He becomes the perfect interpreter of the word. So he gives us, he, he makes clear to us the true sense of the law. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying the law is really the law of Christ. Why? Because it's rooted and it's demanded and it's, uh, it's, it's um, it, what it's doing is, is it, it shows us the love of God. So it is the law of Christ. And so God, Christ comes, and, and this is what he does. He, he distills the law, right? When we think about distilling something, right? We think about this idea of um, sort of boiling something down or breaking something down or making things simple, right? He takes the whole law, all of it, all of God's word and his commands, and what does he do? He extracts from it the main ingredient, which is what? Love. Love. And, and here's something really interesting about the idea of love and God as love, right? I know we sang the song this morning, right? Which I, I, I'm, the, the song is okay. I, I like the song, but I'm not super, I'm not like really in agreement with maybe one of the lyrics. And I'll tell you why, but it's okay. You don't have to worry about it. It's not terrible. But I just, I just want to kind of put this out there for you, right? We sing the song, I will build my life upon your love. But how do we know God's love? How do we know it? What defines God's love? God's truth. Right? So Christ comes and he distills the truth right? He boils down the truth. He says, this is God's love. All of this is God's love. So the measure in which you serve and keep God's commands, you will love. In fact, he said, a new commandment I give to you, which is not a new commandment, but it is a fulfillment of all of them to love one another, right? So how is it that we understand and know God's love? is truth. So I would sing the lyric, I will build my life on your truth, 
because it describes and gives form to your love, right? So without truth, love is subjective. Love can mean whatever it wants. We can actually ascribe a definition to God's love if we're not rooted in his truth. God's love can be whatever we desire it to be. In fact, the culture does this all the time. The culture will often come against the Christian church and say, you know what? Your stance, your opinion, your truth is not in accord with God's love. You're not loving. But here's what we have to understand is that even in the church, God's love is not subjected to anything outside of his truth. And so that's what Jesus is coming to. He's saying, this is the essence of the law, which is the truth. Love. Love. So we are to love one another. And how is it that we are to love one another? To carry each other's burdens. In so doing, we will fulfill the law, which is all boiled down to love. God's love in accord with God's truth. Not the world. So it's so important to understand that. John, uh, Jesus says this in, in John uh, 15. John 15, uh, 9 through 12, this is what he says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep, watch this, my commandments... You will abide in my love. So what is contingent? Keeping his commandments, loving Christ and abiding in the word and remaining in love is contingent on something. Not your own subjective opinion about what love is. But in what? Keeping my commandments. That sounds like legalism, but it's not. It's freedom. It's liberty. Why? Because loving Christ and keeping his commandments does not save you is an expression of your salvation. Loving Christ sanctifies you. Keeping his commands sanctifies you, but it cannot save you. And that's what Paul is saying. So, bear one another's burdens. Why? Because in it you're fulfilling the law of love. The law of Christ. Which is evidence of God working in you and sanctifying you. This must have been confusing for the church, but I'm sure Paul may have broken down a little bit more. But anyway, he says, he goes on to say in John 15, Jesus says this, just as I, watch this, this is so awesome, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, look, listen to this, so you're to keep my commandments as an expression of love and God sanctifying you, why? Because I have kept my father's commandments in other words i have come and i have kept every commandment that the father has given me every rule every law every direction every instruction i have fulfilled perfectly we talked about this last last sunday or the sunday before christ comes and lives a sinless life in our place why because he does what he says it keeps every commandment of god that's how we know so he says, you keep mine as I keep the Father's. I kept every commandment. And so this is your duty as well, to keep my commandments. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What is the product of keeping Christ's commandments? 
bearing one another's burdens, restoring one another in times of struggle and trial and suffering and sin. Great joy. Great, great joy. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And see, this is an easy burden. This is an easy yoke. This is not an oppressive thing that Christ has given us. See, the law was given. And the law, God's law, God's instructions, God's words, God has given us the law to perfectly show who he is. And to show us his righteousness and his glory. Right? And God has given us the instruction and the prescriptions to follow him. And he confines and constrains us in our worship of him. God doesn't allow us to worship him in any way we desire. <laughs> Hence the, the proverb 29, right? Without the law, people perish. Without God's truth, people run wild. People are chaotic. People are unrestrained. No, God has given us his commands. He's given us his instructions. He has shown us how to worship him. He has given us constraints. And he says to us, this is how you are to worship me. This is how you are to love me. And this is how you are to love one another. And so he gives us the whole thing and goes, obey this. But here's the problem. <laughs> the church at the beginning they were told that their salvation depended on their perfect adherence to it. And Jesus comes and says, no, your salvation is on your perfect adherence and faith in me. And so the law comes and shows us how to love God and to worship God. But it was never for salvation. Why? Because we can't keep it perfectly. We can't love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength all the time, the way in which he desires. And we can't love one another all the time in the way in which God desires, right? We've already talked about this. And so here comes the law and says, you got to do this. And what does it do? It just condemns us because it can't save us. And that's why we run to the cross. That's why the gospel is so amazing. Because the gospel says you don't have to keep it perfectly because I've already done it for you. Now trust in me. And then when you trust in me and you love one another and you bear one another's burdens, what are you doing? You're fulfilling the law. But the law came and its traditions came and it became a heavy yoke on its people and on us. And it was put around the necks of God's people. And the weight of this law we can never relieve on our own. But Christ has come and has done it for us. See, the usefulness of the law is not to accomplish salvation, but to achieve sanctification. But this is what they did. So you know what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 1 through 6. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees, these are the teachers in that day, sit on Moses' seat. Oh, they like to sit in the high places in the temple. They love all the attention. They love all the accolades. They love it all. They, 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 they eat it up. They sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you. But not the works that they do, right? 
for they preach but do not practice. In other words, they put a heavy weight on you that they can't carry themselves. They put a heavy weight on you that they can't carry. They preach and you listen to what they say, but don't follow what they practice because they don't line up. So he says to them, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. He says this, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Oh, isn't that true today? For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. See, they love the image of piety and righteousness, but they can't follow it. You look within their lives, they put on you a weight that they don't want to bear themselves. Why? Because you can't bear the weight. You can't live perfectly. Interesting phylacteries is these little boxes. I don't know if you're familiar with these little boxes that had um, had papyri in them that had God's scriptures in them, God's law, God's whatever they had in there. And these boxes strapped to the sides of them. And Jesus says, oh, they make these things so big so you can see how righteous they are. Oh, look how much I, I value God's word. I got it right on my hip for you all to see. You know? Their fringes are long. You know, their dress. They dressed a certain way so you'd know who they were. And he says to them, try to do what they tell you, but don't follow their practice because they're not doing it themselves. So the idea here is, is that the law becomes a burden. God's commands done perfectly become something that we cannot do. And so here we have Paul juxtaposing these two ideas. And this is what he says. In other words, when we are to bear one another's burdens, we're actually exchanging the burden of the law for the burdens of others. This is what Paul is saying, I think. He's saying that in exchange for the burden of the law, which has been placed on you and you can't bear it and you can't relieve yourself of it because you can't keep it. He says, instead of trying to keep that law in exchange for the burden of that law, what are you to do? You are to save and lift and carry the burdens of others instead. Why? Because this is something the Pharisees and the teachers never did. They gave you the law, but they never helped lift the weight of it. They said, do these things, but they never helped you when you couldn't. They just stood on their, in their seats and on their places of, of, you know, of authority and said, do this. And Jesus says, and they never helped you. It's not so with the church. For we are to exchange the burden of that law to carry the burdens of one another. Why? because it is a response to the grace that Christ has delivered us from the weight of our burdens. That's why. We are to carry one another's burdens in response to the grace that Christ has shown us in lifting the burdens off of us. And so we are to be that same principle to one another. In a sense, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. 
So when the gospel of Christ, which saves, is received, this is so critical to understand, you guys. It grants the believer a liberty to follow the law of Christ, which sanctifies. Let me say that again. When the gospel of Christ, which saves, right? We know the gospel saves. Keeping the law does not. When the gospel saves, when the gospel of Christ, which saves, is received, it grants the believer a liberty to follow the law of Christ, which sanctifies. So this is how we are to do it. We are to bear one another's burdens to obey the essence of God's law. We are to bear one another's burdens to obey the essence of God's law. And that's where I'm going to stop this morning. I'll finish with one text and then we'll be done. We'll get to verses 3, 4, and 5 uh, in a couple Sundays from now. I want to leave you with this. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Oh, this is so good. You guys all know this, but maybe you'll see it a little differently now after you know what Galatians 6 is saying. Come to me, right? You know this. Come to me, all who labor. What does this mean? It doesn't mean, hey, <laughs> sorry. This is not saying, hey man, if you're working 80 hours a week, right? And you're just tired, come to me. That's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. Come to me all who work hard. No. What Christ is saying is, you have been told that you have to keep all of these laws. And it's hard work that you can't achieve. But take heart because I have done them all for you. So guess what? You get to come to me and put down your labor. Put down your labor that proves your righteousness. He says, put down your labor. Come to me, all who labor, all who desire to sort of prove their own righteousness through their work, right? He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. You have tremendous weight upon you. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you spiritual rest. I will give you eternal rest. Take my yoke upon you. So this idea of a yoke is this instrument of work, right? When we think of a yoke, we think of something that's put on an animal for the, for the express purpose of working with someone else to, to, provide, to produce work, right? He says, take my, yoke, take my yoke upon you. Why? Because my burden is easy. Sorry, I'm, I, sorry, let me say that again. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Interestingly enough, this idea of burden is work. So it's not the same burden that Paul is referring to in Galatians 6. This is a totally different word in the Greek, but it means service or work. So that what, what Jesus is saying is when you put on my yoke and you come to serve me, it doesn't seem hard. It doesn't seem arduous. 
But when you put my yoke upon you and you trust in the work that I've done for you and you believe in the gospel and you are motivated by the spirit of God to be sanctified and you want to and you have a desire to live out the commands of Christ and live in love and serve the law of Christ, which is love. What does he say? That yoke that I put upon you to do the work and to do the service that I've called you to, to the church, that is not hard. That is easy. And it is light. And so Christ gives us, through his grace, the instrument to do the work of restoring and carrying one another's burdens for each other. But this is not a hard task. It is light. Because it is a desire we now have. Because the pattern of sin has been broken. And the pattern of righteousness is what we desire to follow. And so Jesus ends there and says, come to me. Forget the work of just trying to meet the standard because you can't. But take on my yoke and do my work and my service. Why? Because it's light. Because it fulfills the law of love. And so when we carry one another's burdens, when we restore one another, when we, when we gather around one another, and we meet the needs of each other, and we share in the weaknesses and the suffering and the trials and the hardships, what is it that we are doing? We are doing the work of Christ, not out of obligation, but out of a desire to love him and to love one another. I think I'll stop there. Does that sound good? Yeah? Okay, let's pray. So I invite you.